Good morning, H2O family. I uh, hope you're all doing great this morning. If you don't know already, my name is Trevor, and I'm on staff here uh, at H2O Church Cincinnati, and I'm going to be bringing the word to you today. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our summer sermon series called Abundance, where each week we are uh, exploring and diving into a different spiritual discipline that God has graciously given to us. And we've talked about how these spiritual disciplines are not ends in and of themselves, but rather they are means to greater ends. And those greater ends being deeper personal intimacy with God, personal growth in godliness, and greater maturity in Christ. And this means that the ultimate goal of these spiritual disciplines is deeper personal intimacy with God, growth in godliness, and greater maturity in Christ. And so far throughout this sermon, we've talked about things like evangelism, prayer, uh, studying the Bible, worship, fasting, um, in, in, addition, in addition to other spiritual disciplines as well. And it's really our earnest prayer that you're really taking these teachings to heart and that you're actually seeking to apply these things in your lives so that we can all truly uh, grow in godliness, experience greater depths of God, and mature more and more in Christ. And this morning, we're going to be exploring and diving into the spiritual discipline of confession, and specifically uh, confession of sin. The spiritual dis discipline of confession is super important for a number of reasons that, that we're going to be getting into here in a little bit. And the Bible speaks directly on the spiritual discipline of confession a number of times throughout its pages. In Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. In James 5, 16, the Bible says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And in Psalm 32, King David is speaking to God, and he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So we'll be touching on all three of these scriptures again throughout this sermon today, and I'm excited to explore the, the spiritual discipline of confession with you all this morning. But before we go any further, I want to pray over our time together and, and really welcome the Spirit of God into this place. Okay? So with that said, please bow your heads in prayer with me. Father God, God, you are so awesome. God, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you, God, that our, our salvation is based on your love for us. God, we thank you for everything that you are. God, we thank you for your heart and your character, God. You are a God of love and kindness and compassion and tenderness and faithfulness and goodness and humility and mercy, and grace, and healing, and restoration, and revival. God, you are our God. And God, just as a, as a humble man here this morning, I, I cry out to you. Holy Spirit, I cry out to you, and, and we, we, we welcome, we invite your presence here with us, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in power, in strength, and in sovereignty here this morning, in me and through me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of everyone here to receive your truth and your presence. Lord, I pray for any distractions, whether internal or external, that those would just fall away. Lord, our attention is holy. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to give our attention to you in your presence. Holy Spirit, let's do this. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right. So this sermon today on the spiritual discipline of confession is going to be pretty, pretty practical heavy. It's just kind of the way the content for this sermon shook out as I was preparing it. And intertwined within the practical teaching that I'm going to be giving you today will be reasons why it's important for us to confess our sins. And intertwined within the practical teaching will also be deeper teaching on the spiritual discipline of confession in general as well. Okay? Let's jump right in. When confessing our sins, it's important to confess our sins to God and to others. When confessing our sins, it's important for us to confess our sins to God and to others. It is a biblical command to confess your sins both to God and to others, so that alone makes it very important for us to do it. But I want to give you some additional reasons why it is important for us to confess our sins to God and why it is important to confess our sins to others as well. And first up, reasons why it's important to confess our sins to God. And these reasons that I'm about to share with you as to why it is important for us to confess our sins to God will also serve as answers to the question that some of you may have of if God, who sees and knows all things at all times, already sees and knows my sin before I confess to him, why should I still confess? Okay, these reasons are going to answer that question. So the first reason why it's important for us to confess our sins to God. Confessing our sins to God helps each of us to maintain good relational fellowship with Confessing our sins to God helps each of us to maintain good relational fellowship with God. You see, sin hinders our relationship with God. Whether you are a born-again Christian or whether you are not, sin hinders your relationship with God. Sin always has negative consequences. The Bible in Isaiah 59, 2-3 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. Whoever you are, sin hinders your relationship with God. Now, with that said, sin hinders your relationship with God in different ways, depending on whether you are a born-again Christian or not. If you are here today and you are not a born-again Christian, meaning that you have not repented of your sins, placed personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and committed to following Jesus as the King of your life, then your sins, your wrongdoings, have completely separated you from personal relationship with God. Because God is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, and perfectly pure. And you are not because of your sins. If you are here today and you have not repented of your sins, placed personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and committed to following Jesus as the King of your life, then you are not at all in personal relationship with God. And if you die that way, you will be in hell for all eternity. However, if you want to be in personal relationship with God, God has made that possible for you. God has made that possible for you by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, out of the kingdom of heaven and into this world to take the form of a humble and vulnerable human man. And while in this world as a humble and vulnerable human man, Jesus Christ lived a completely sinless, completely upright, and completely pure life. A life of complete and full obedience to God the Father. Something that every single one of us has failed miserably to do. Jesus was totally innocent and totally clean of any sin and any wrongdoing. Yet when Jesus was 33 years old, because he loves us so much, he became the literal embodiment of our sin. And when he did so, God the Father opened up the heavens and unleashed his powerful wrath for sin onto his son, Jesus Christ as Jesus was the embodiment of our sin. And God's wrath that went upon Jesus took the form of Jesus being rejected, 
relentlessly beaten, tortured, humiliated, mocked, and ultimately crucified on a cross by the Roman army. And in doing this, Jesus took the penalty and the punishment of sin upon himself that you and I did not have to, even though we are the ones who deserved it. Jesus, the innocent and pure and righteous king of heaven, went to the cross and died on that cross on, a, on, that cross on a Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago for you and for me. And the following Sunday morning, Jesus miraculously and victoriously arose from the dead, taking away the sting of death and defeating sin forever on our behalf so that now today, if you will repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, meaning that you personally believe that Jesus took your place as a substitute and being punished by God the Father, and if you will commit to following Jesus as the king of your life, if you will do all of those things, God will immediately forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future, through what is called positional forgiveness or judicial forgiveness. And in doing so, you, my friend, will enter into personal relationship with God. And you will forever be in personal relationship with God as long as you continue to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and continue to follow him as the king of your life. And this kind of forgiveness from God that we receive upon salvation is referred to as positional forgiveness. Because when we are granted this forgiveness from God, we are instantly brought into the position of being a child of God. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, the Bible says, Yet to all who did receive him, and him being Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When you repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus, and commit to following Jesus as the king of your life, God grants you positional forgiveness as you are in that moment, brought into the position of being a child of God. And this kind of forgiveness that we receive from God upon salvation is sometimes also referred to as judicial forgiveness because God, as a perfect and righteous judge who must judge sin and wrongdoing, grants us forgiveness because the price or the penalty or the cost of our sins was fully paid for by Jesus Christ through his death on the cross in our place and his victorious resurrection. Now, if you are here today and you are a born-again Christian, you have already received positional forgiveness from God when you were first saved which again wiped out all of your sin, past, present, and future, and made you a child of God forever and guaranteed your place in heaven as long as you continue to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and continue to follow him as your King. But even as a born-again Christian, sin still does hinder your personal relationship with God. Sin still has consequences for you. No amount of sin changes your position before God. You fully remain a child of God, and you fully remain in personal relationship with God, and you are still saved, even when you sin, because of positional forgiveness. But as a Christian, sin still hinders your relationship with God by specifically hindering your relational fellowship with him. And what I mean when I say that sin hinders your relational fellowship with God is that sin affects your experience of your personal relationship with God. And it significantly affects the amount of life, peace, joy, gladness, and fullness that you experience from your relationship with God. And you could say that sin affects your nearness or closeness with God when you sin as a Christian. When you sin as a Christian, you fully remain a child of God. You fully remain in personal relationship with God, and you are still saved. But sin hinders your relational fellowship with God. Sin hinders your nearness with God or your closeness with God until you come to God and confess your sins to him and repent of those sins. 
when you sin, your relational fellowship with God is hindered, is stunted. But when you come to God and you confess your sins to him and repent of those sins, he gives you what is called relational forgiveness, which restores your personal relational fellowship with God. And this is why it's very important for us as Christians to still confess our sins to God and continue to repent of our sins before. Let me give you an example of example to further explain and further further clarify this point that if you are a born-again Christian sin does not affect whether you are in personal relationship with God but that it affects your experience of your relationship with God and it affects your nearness with God an example that I want to give you to help explain and clarify this comes from my own marriage to my wife Susie let's say this evening when I get home from being on campus all day and when I get home I, I treat Susie like absolute crap I get home, I'm not loving Susie well or caring for Susie well or being very present with Susie, and in this way, I am sinning against her, disrespecting her and dishonoring her. That is not right of me to treat Susie in that way, but even if I do fail at being a good husband by treating her that way, Susie and I will still be in relationship. Even if I sin against Susie, we will still be married. We'll still be in relationship. But if I treat Susie that way, I will not experience the good things from my marriage with her, such as gladness, laughter, presence, and enjoyment, and I will not experience relational nearness with Susie until I come to Susie and I confess to her that I was wrong to treat her like that, and that I was sorry, and I wanted to change my way. And then, and only then, would the good things from my marriage with her be restored as she forgives me for sinning against her. This is a very similar concept when it comes to our relationship with God and how sin hinders our relational fellowship with God as Christians. If you are a born-again Christian, your sins, past, present, and future, have been completely wiped out by God when he gave you positional forgiveness or judicial forgiveness the moment that you were saved. And because your sins have been completely wiped out by God, you are in personal relationship with God, a father-son or father-daughter relationship with God. But even though you are in personal relationship with God and you are saved, if you sin against God, there will be negative consequences in your experience of your relationship with God until you go to God and you confess your sins to him and repent of those sins. As a Christian, when you go to God and you do this, God will give you relational forgiveness, which restores your personal relational fellowship with God. So again, confessing our sins to God helps each of us to maintain good relational fellowship with God. Another reason why it's important for us to confess our sins to God is that when we confess our sins to God, we are humbly coming into agreement with God that, that a certain thing we did, we said, we thought, or an attitude that we had was sinful. That a certain thing we did, said, thought, or an attitude that we had was wrong. And when we come to God in prayer and we confess our sins to him, whether it was an action we did, something we said, something we thought, or an attitude that we had, when we confess these things to God as sin, what we are saying is, yes, God, this thing was sin. This thing was wrong, and I shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have said it, shouldn't have thought it, or shouldn't have had it. In the New Testament, where we, where we have the English word confess, the original Greek word is exomologio. I have no idea if I said that right, but that was my best attempt at it. Uh, this original Greek word, exomologio, actually means to fully agree with. So when we are coming to God and confessing our sins to him, we are coming into full agreement with him that a certain thing we did, said, thought, or an attitude that we had was sinful, was wrong. And this is important because when we come to God and come into agreement with him in this way about our sin, we are honoring God, respecting God, reverently fearing God, and submitting ourselves to God again after our rebellion, which is very, very important. And when we do this, we are actively aligning our hearts 
and our minds with God once again about what is right and what is wrong in this life, which is also very, very important. And if it hasn't been clear enough already, I want you all to know or to remember that sin can be actions that you do. Things like stealing, killing, masturbating, breaking the laws of the land, hurting others, looking at someone with lust. Sin can be words that you say, lying, profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain, gossip, slander, coarse joking, unwholesome talk. Sin can be thoughts that you have. These can be prideful thoughts, selfish thoughts, lustful thoughts, hateful thoughts, all sorts of different thoughts that aren't right. And sin can be attitudes that you have, bitterness, hostility, racism, sexism, discrimination, favoritism, jealousy, all of the things like this. And there are also what are called sins of omission. James 4.17 explains to us what sins of omission are, where it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So all these different things can be places of sin in our lives. And I want you to be aware of all these different things. So again, it's important for us to confess our sins to God because confessing our sins to God helps each of us to maintain good relational fellowship with God. And when we confess our sins to God, we are humbly coming into agreement with God that a certain thing we did, we said, we thought, or an attitude that we had was sinful. I want to talk to you about some reasons why it's important for us to not only confess our sins to God, but also to others in our lives. And when I say it's important for us to confess our sins to others, those other people that you confess your sins to should be trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life. Okay? Those others should be trusted, uh, reliable, and mature Christians in your life. And for the record, you do not need to go to a priest to confess your sins uh, as the Catholic Church does. You can and you should confess your sins to fellow Christians in your life who are trusted, reliable, and mature. And the first reason I want to share with you this morning as to why it is important to confess your sins to others is this. It's really hard to control sin or battle sin on your own. It's really hard to control sin or battle sin on your own. One of the many things that makes sin so deceitful is that we think we can, we can control sin or battle sin on our own in private, but it's truly so, so hard to control sin and battle sin on our own. Hiding our sin in the dark from other Christians in our lives Concealing our sin from others and keeping our sin private oftentimes just causes the sin to fester and grow and get even more nasty to the point where it gets so overwhelming and so out of control. But when we confess our sins openly, honestly, and transparently to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in our lives, what we are doing is we are bringing in those brothers or sisters in Christ to help us in our battle against sin. We are bringing in those brothers and sisters in Christ to help us fight and to help us work through the sin to find true freedom, victory, and repentance. And when we confess our sins to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are building up a defense system against our sin rather than just trying to take on our sin ourselves. And it just makes sense that having multiple people to help you battle an enemy in your life is so much better and so much more effective than you battling that enemy by yourself. When you confess your sins to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life, they can help you so much in your battle against sin by praying for you. And having people praying for you in your battle against sin is ginormously important. In James 5.16, the Bible again tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this scripture from James 5.16 specifically connects our confession of sin and the power of prayer, which is huge, and you have to see that. 
when you confess your sins to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life, they can powerfully pray for you for strength, endurance, breakthrough, perspective, wisdom, self-discipline, and all sorts of other things as well. But remember that in the battle against sin, and when you have people praying for you, you still have a significant role and significant responsibility to play in putting sin to death in your life because of free will. Don't expect the sin to just, di- to just disappear on its own because people are praying for you. You still have a significant role and significant responsibility in the battle. And those trusted, reliable, and mature Christians that you confess your sins to can also help you in your battle uh, by sharing wisdom with you from the scriptures or from their own life or even from teachings they've heard or, or lessons that they themselves have learned that are relevant for you by encouraging you and supporting you in your battle against sin, by holding you accountable in different areas of your life, by reminding you of truth. And those reminders of truth that they give you might be reminders of the gospel, of God's love, of God's mercy and grace, of God's faithfulness, of God's power, of the seriousness and severity of sin or a number of other things. And these reminders of truth from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can truly be so powerful and so pivotal in your battle against sin. And these fellow Christians can also fight alongside you by helping you to identify and work through things that may be going on underneath the surface in your life or in your heart or in your mind. A lot of the time, I wouldn't say all the time, but a lot of the time, there is more going on underneath the surface when someone gives in to sin, runs to sin, chooses sin, or has an explosion of sin. Especially, especially with sins like lust, anger, bitterness, lying, idolatry, and other sins as well. Uh, for example, when it comes to the sins of masturbation and pornography, are those sins fueled by lust? Definitely. But a lot of the time, there are also other things going on underneath the surface as well that lead someone to those things, like insecurity, low self-esteem, escapism, poor emotional health, shame, fear, a lack of intimacy with God, and other things like this. And fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can help you to identify and work through these things that may be going on underneath the surface. And a lot of time, it can be very, very difficult to identify and work through and uproot these things on your own. So again, it's very important to confess your sins to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life because it's really hard to control sin on your own. And another reason that's important to confess your sins to others in your life is that as Christians, we are called to be people of truth and people who walk in truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So as people who are in Christ and who belong to Christ, we are to be people of truth and people who walk in the truth in all areas of life. As people who are to be people of truth, we are not to have any kind of hiddenness or secretiveness amongst us in our community at all. Each of us should be known as fully open and fully known books to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in our lives. Now, with all that said, I don't think that you need to or even should broadcast your sin far and wide to the whole world or even to the whole church. The people that you openly, honestly, and transparently confess your sins to should just be a few trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life. I know that, I know that this can seem very scary and intimidating and daunting, but it's good. I promise you that it's good. I know from personal experience that it's good. Nothing truly good is ever achieved by lying about or hiding sin in your life. And I want to remind you that in this context, where we are called to be open, honest, and transparent about our sin with a few trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in our lives, omission is a way of lying. 
omission is a way of lying. Speaking non-truths is a way of lying, but omitting truths, leaving out truths, is also a way of lying. It's called lying by omission. Pretty straightforward. Um, And I encourage you to have a consistent person or a consistent group of people that you're confessing your sins to, rather than confessing your sins to a bunch of different people at a bunch of different times to make yourself look better. I confess that I have done this before to make myself look better, where I have intentionally confessed my sins to different people at different times so that it wouldn't look like I was sinning as much as I was or struggling as much as I was. But brothers and sisters, this is not right. It's not right, it's not good, and it's being deceitful. You might be able to deceive or fool people by doing that, but you can't deceive or fool God, and eventually he will expose you because he loves you. When you confess your sins to a consistent person or a consistent group of people, there are so many benefits. They can discern whether a certain sin has gotten really out of hand in your life. They can kind of keep tabs on how you're really doing at following Jesus, putting sin to death in your life, and living righteously. They can help you to identify any of those specific triggers or patterns or cycles in your life when it comes to certain sins. And again, I know that this can be scary and intimidating, but it is ultimately so good, so beneficial, and so healthy. And if you are worried, about, worried that a brother or sister in Christ may judge you or look down on you because of your sin, that is their problem, not Okay, let me say that again. If you are worried that a brother or sister in Christ may judge you or look down on you because of your sin, that is their problem, not And hear this truth as well, brothers and sisters. When we choose to not confess our sins to others, we are elevating, valuing, and protecting our own reputation, our own comfort, our own image, and our own glory over God's glory, God's delight, and God. When we choose to not confess our sins to others, we are elevating, valuing, and protecting our own reputation, our own comfort, our own image, and our own glory over God's glory. God's delight, and God's glory. So again, confess your sins to God and to others, because confessing to both is very, very important. The next practical tip that I have for you this morning when it comes to confessing your sins is this. Have a heart posture of genuine repentance when confessing your sins to God and to others. Have a heart posture of genuine repentance when it comes to, your, when it comes to confessing your sins to God and to others. Confession of sin and a heart of genuine repentance really go hand in hand. I want to point this out to you in the Bible, first from the ministry of John the Baptist. In Mark 1, 4 through 5, the Bible says this, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Do you see how... See here how God is showing us that confession of sin and a genuine heart of repentance go hand in hand. This passage says that John the Baptist was specifically preaching about repentance, and it says that the people went out to him confessing their sins. So what we're seeing here is that the people were confessing their sins because they wanted to repent of their sins. The people weren't just confessing their sins because they were supposed to. The people weren't just confessing their sins because that was the Christian thing to do. The people were confessing their sins because they genuinely wanted to repent of their sins. And let's also return to the scripture from Proverbs that I shared with you at the beginning of this sermon. It's Proverbs 28, 13, which says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 
Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And see how this scripture from Proverbs is talking about the importance of confessing our sins and renouncing our sins, putting off our sins. This is really, really important. It's not just about confessing our sins. It's also about repenting from our sins as well. And repentance being the underlying reason why we are confessing our sins. Confession and repentance really go hand in hand. Confession and repentance are to be together. So if we're being truthful with each other this morning, I think that we're sometimes guilty of confessing our sins to God and to others just because we're supposed to as Christians. Just because that's the thing to do after you sin if you're a Christian. And not because we genuinely want to repent from our sins. Not because we genuinely want to put all of our sins to death, as Colossians 3, 5 through 10 talks about. But we need to repent from that and make sure that we are confessing our sins with an underlying heart posture of genuine repentance. Confession isn't something that we are to do just because we are supposed to. Confession is to be a way that we really make war and wage war on our sin. Seriously. We are to make war and wage war on our sin through confession and repentance. But you don't declare war on something or wage war on something unless you believe that that something is your enemy. Right? Our military here in the United States doesn't declare war on countries or people groups just for the heck of it. At least I hope they don't. Rather, our military declares war on our enemies. And with that said, I want to take some time to clearly show you that sin is our enemy. I want to clearly show you why we should actively declare war on our sin through confession and repentance. And I have no doubt that many of you here today believe that sin is bad and that you should try and avoid sin as much as possible in your lives. But I really want to make sure that we all have a biblically accurate view of the seriousness of sin, the severity of sin, and the weight of sin. Because if we aren't careful, I think we can sometimes be desensitized or sometimes even deceived by the devil and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms when it comes to sin and the seriousness of sin and the severity of sin. So I want to show you or remind you of these things now. But before I do that, I want you all to know or to remember that crippling guilt and shame are not tools that God uses. Crippling guilt and shame are tools that the devil and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms use to sabotage us, steal from us, and lock us up. Healthy conviction is the tool that God uses to call us deeper into himself and deeper into a life of righteousness and obedience. So as I take just a little bit of time to show you or to remind you of the seriousness of sin and the severity of sin from a biblical perspective, do not let crippling guilt or shame rule in your hearts, your minds, or your lives. And again, the reason I want to show you a little bit of the biblical view of the seriousness of sin and the severity of sin is so that you'll see how much of an enemy that sin really is in our lives and how much we are to declare war on our sin through confession and repentance. The first place that I want to go to get a biblically accurate view of sin is chapter 4 of the book of James. In James 4, 4 through 5, God's word says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This is a very convicting, moving, and sobering scripture. Because what this scripture from James 4 is communicating to us is that when we sin, we are committing adultery against God. What this passage is communicating to us is that when we sin, we are committing adultery against God. 
And in case you're unfamiliar with what adultery is, I'm going to briefly explain it to you before I talk about how sinning is committing adultery against God. Adultery is relational unfaithfulness. As in when a husband or a wife cheats on their spouse by being sexually active with another person. This is adultery. And in the example of when a husband or wife cheats on their spouse by being sexually active with another person, that husband or wife has covenantally committed their life, their love, their affection, and their devotion to their spouse when they got married. But when that husband or wife is sexually active with another person, they're being unfaithful to that relational and covenantal commitment that they made. Now, when we sin, we are committing adultery against God. We are committing relational unfaithfulness against God, just as a husband or a wife would cheat on their spouse, because as Christians, we have fully committed our whole heart, our whole life, our whole affection, our whole devotion, and our whole being to God and our relationship with God and the kingdom of God. So when we go against God and we go against his heart by sinning in any kind of way, we are being unfaithful to that commitment that we made to God, and thus we have the act of adultery against God when we And you see this truth in the James 4 passage that I read to you just moments ago. The passage starts off by saying, you adulterous people. You can see right here from the get-go that sin is indeed adultery against God because James is calling these these disobedient people adulterous people. James isn't calling out these people for being unfaithful to their spouses, but for being unfaithful to God and their relationship and commitment to him. And I hope that you can see from this that sin is so much more than just a bad or unhealthy habit. Sin definitely is a bad and unhealthy habit, but it's also more than that. Sin is adultery against God, and sin hurts the heart of God so much. I can't even begin to imagine the kind of pain that I would feel in my heart if my wife Susie committed adultery against me. It would hurt me so bad, and it would really knock the wind out of me. Like I said, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that I would feel. If you're here today and you are in a romantic relationship, just imagine the pain that you would feel if your significant other cheated on you. If you are here today and you aren't in a romantic relationship, just imagine the pain that you would feel if your best friend in the world betrayed you or stabbed you in the back in some way. It would be so painful. Yet I believe that this is the kind of pain that we bring to God's heart every time that we choose sin instead of sin. It is my earnest prayer that this truth will lead you to absolutely hate sin. This alone stirs up such a disgust and such a hate for sin in my heart. And again, it's my earnest prayer that it does the same for you in your heart. And it's my prayer that that hate of sin in your heart would lead you to, lead you to declare war on sin in your life. And it would truly lead you to confess your sins with a genuine heart of repentance every day. In addition to this, we see in the scriptures that God isn't just bothered by sin, but that God hates sin with extreme and intense To see God's intense hatred of sin, we simply need to consider the following things. First, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were both real cities in the Middle East that we read about in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that pretty much all of the people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion and all sorts of other sins against God. In response to the people's reckless and unrepentant sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, God literally rained down buckets of fire and sulfur from heaven onto both of the cities, completely destroying both of the cities and all of the rebellious people in the city, which was everybody. And to see God's intense hatred of sin, we should also consider the reality of the eternal and intense punishment in hell for all who have not repented of their sins placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and committed to following Jesus as the king of their life. 
If this doesn't clearly display God's intense hatred for sin, I don't know what else does. And lastly, we can also see God's intense hatred of sin through everything that our Lord Jesus went through on the cross. As God the Father poured out his wrath for sin onto Jesus as he was the embodiment of our sin. The rejection, the relentless beating, the indescribable torture, the humiliation, the pain, the agony, the gore, and ultimately the crucifixion. It's abundantly clear to see that God hates sin so much. And as the people of God, we are also to hate sin with a passion and not just treat sin lightly in any kind of way. And the final reason I want to share with you this morning about the seriousness of sin and the severity of sin is something that I've actually already hit on in this sermon. It's that sin hinders our relational fellowship. To be abundantly clear, God always loves you the same amount and always cares for you the same amount. There is nothing that you can do to gain or to lose God's love and God's care for you. And when you sin as a born-again Christian, you remain saved, and you you remain a child of God, and you remain in personal relationship with God. But sin does indeed disrupt our relational fellowship with God. And because of this, sin is very, very serious and very severe. And it is my prayer that after seeing just a little bit of a biblically accurate view of sin, that you would be inspired to have a heart of genuine repentance when it comes to confessing your sins to God and to trusted, reliable, and mature Christians in your life. That you wouldn't just confess your sins for the sake of confession, and that you wouldn't just confess because you're supposed to as a Christian, but that you would confess your sins with a genuine heart of repentance because you want to put to death all sin in your life. Again, just as Colossians 3, 5 through 10 talks about. I want to now give you some additional practical tips when it comes to confessing your sins to God and to others. Take full responsibility for your sin. Okay? Take full responsibility for your sin. Don't play the blame game when it comes to your sin. Don't blame God. Don't blame others. And don't blame your circumstances. And don't try to justify or explain the reasonable grounds for your sins in any way. Take full responsibility for your sin every time that you In Psalm 51, we see King David praying to God, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And notice here in Psalm 51 that King David refers to his sin as my transgressions, my iniquity my sin. And here in this passage from Psalm 51, we can see that David is taking full responsibility for his sin, not trying to blame anything or anyone else, and not trying to justify his actions. We can contrast this with, that, with what Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden after they sin for the first time ever. We can find this in Genesis 3. It's Genesis 3, 9 through 13, which says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You can clearly see here that neither Adam nor Eve were owning up to their sin or taking responsibility for their sin. Rather, they opted to play the blame game. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, Neither one of them took responsibility for their sin. Be like David and take full responsibility for your sin every time that you sin. And don't be like Adam and Eve. Now, with that said, I know that some of you here today 
have been significantly sinned against at some point in your life in the past through things like molestation, sexual abuse, manipulation, and other things like these. And you may feel the temptation to take personal responsibility for those sins that have been committed against you. But I want you to know that those things are not your responsibility. In most instances, those are sins that have been committed against you, not sins that you yourself have committed. So those things are not your responsibility. Okay? I want to make that clear before I move on from this point about taking responsibility for your sins. Next, view all sin as serious. View all sin as serious. I really challenge you all to not just confess one particular sin in your life to God and to others, but to really launch attacks on and wage war on all sin in your life because all sin is serious. Don't limit your confession and repentance in your attacks just to what you would consider to be big sins in your life. Rather, confess all of your sins to God and to others and repent from all sin in your life. It is a strong conviction of mine that we as Christians need to take subtle sins much more seriously than we do in our lives and in our community. And these subtle sins that I'm referring to are sins like coveting, judging others, gossip, taking the Lord's name in vain, coarse joking and unwholesome talk, gluttony, lying, passiveness and complacency, and other sins like this. View all sin as serious, not just certain sins in your life. Next, don't try and cover up or hide your sins. Don't try and cover up or hide your sins because you can't. Hebrews 4.13 in the Bible says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We can never hide what we do, what we say, what we think, or the attitudes that we have from the Lord because the Lord sees and hears and knows everything. I want you to actually take comfort in the fact that God already saw, already heard, and already knows all of the sins that you commit. When I remind myself of this truth, that God sees all things, hears all things, knows all things, and perceives all things, that honestly gives me so much confidence and so much courage to confess my sins to him because he already knows. I'm not surprising God by confessing my sins to him. I'm not telling God anything that he doesn't already know. Take comfort in the fact that God fully knows you and fully loves you at all times. Confessing our sins to God rather than hiding our sins will also help to keep us from the discipline of the Lord. Because God sees, hears, and knows all the sins that we commit, if we fail to or neglect to confess our sins to him and to others, the righteous and loving discipline of the Lord is sure to come upon us. In Psalm 32, King David is praying to God and reflecting on a personal experience that he had where he neglected to confess his sins openly, honestly, and transparently to the Lord. And because of that, he experienced the discipline of the Lord. It's Psalm 32, 3-5, where King David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Here in this passage from Psalm 32, we see that King David was experiencing the discipline of the Lord because he neglected to obediently confess his sins to the Lord, even though he was aware of them. And attempting to hide your sin will bring forth physical and spiritual misery from the Lord. But the Lord brings that physical and, and spiritual misery onto us through his discipline for good and perfect reason. Next, next, it's very, very important for us to confess our sins directly to others we have sinned against. It's very important to confess our sins directly to others we have sinned against. 
In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus cares a lot about us living in peace and in unity with each other as the body of Christ. So it's important for us to confess our sins directly to others that we have sinned against to maintain that bond of peace and unity in our community. And this is an important thing to do to make sure that roots of bitterness don't develop in the hearts of people in your life due to sin that you have committed against them. But be sure that you use wise discernment in this. There may be times when it's not a good idea to confess your sins to someone that you sinned against. For example, if you were lusting after someone, it's not a good idea to go up to that person that you were lusting after and tell them. It's not a good or godly idea at all. So, why, so use wise discernment in this. And if you're ever on the receiving end of someone confessing sins that they have committed against you specifically, I want to remind you to, sh- to show so much mercy, grace, forgiveness, and kindness from your heart to the person who is confessing their sins to you. In Ephesians 4.32, God tells us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And in chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if, you are, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So be merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving to one another. The last practical tip that I have for you this morning when it comes to confessing your sins is this. When confessing your sins, move from an honest view of your sin to a view of the mercy and grace and love and kindness. When confessing your sins, move from an honest view of your sin to a view of the mercy and grace and love and kindness. When confessing your sins, be honest about your sin and be honest about how you messed up and how you were unfaithful to God, but don't stay there. Don't sit in crippling guilt or shame. When confessing your sins, be honest about your sin, but then move to a view of the mercy, grace, love, and kindness of God. After owning up to your sins and honestly confessing your sins, look to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the freedom, victory, love, and righteousness that Jesus Christ bought for you through his substitutionary death in our place and his victorious resurrection. And rejoice in and celebrate the freedom, victory, love, and righteousness that are yours through Christ Jesus. The final thing that I want to do this morning with the time that I have left is give you all some very important practical tips for when a fellow brother or sister in Christ comes to you to obediently confess their sins. The first practical tip that I have uh, to share with you on this is this. Make sure that there is no judgment at all when someone comes to you and confesses their sin to you. Make sure there is no judgment at all when someone comes to you and confesses their sin to you. It doesn't matter what someone did, what they said, what they thought, what attitude they had, or what they allowed to happen. Regardless of what sin what the sin is that someone confesses to you, make sure that there is no judgment at all when they confess to you. At the beginning of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So do not judge your brother or sister when they confess their sins to you. Don't judge someone in your heart or in your mind, and put in some effort and intentionality to make sure that you aren't wearing any kind of judgment or shock or disgust on your face when someone confesses their sins to you. You don't want someone to see this in response to their confession, right? Be a safe place for your brother or sister in Christ to confess their sins. Be for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, not against each other. 
be one of those trusted, reliable, and mature Christians that someone can openly, honestly, and transparently confess their sins to. Now, with that said, I do want to make it clear that there may be select times where you need to take necessary actions in response to someone's confession of sin, such as reporting abuse, contacting the authorities, or exercising church discipline. For example, if someone comes to me and confesses that they sexually assaulted a minor, I have to encourage them to report that to the authorities. And if they are unwilling to do that, I myself have to report that to the authorities. Confession of sin isn't a get-out-of-consequences-free card. If someone comes to me and confesses to me that they sexually assaulted a minor, I'm still going to thank them for confessing to me, and I'm going to tenderly love them, and I'm not going to judge them in any way, shape, or form. But I do need to make sure necessary steps of action are taken whether I'm helping them to take those steps of action themselves or those, ac- those steps of action are taken by me. And sins that would require these necessary steps of action would include things like, and this is, and this is not an exhaustive list, uh, but includes things like sexual assault of any kind, whether it's against a minor or against another adult, domestic violence, child abuse, possession of child pornography, and acts of self-harm. Now, don't go on a rampage of contacting the authorities on each other or anything like that, okay? Again, use wise discernment in this. Honestly, if you're in a situation where you aren't sure if you need to take steps of action like these, or even if you are pretty confident you should take steps of action like these, reach out to a staff member, and we will help you. Okay? Next, keep it all confidential. I think this is pretty straightforward. It's my view that you are actually committing sin yourself if you break someone's confidentiality. Confidentiality is really that serious and that important. Uh, one of the only times that it's okay and even good to talk to someone else about someone's confession of sin um, is if the person who confessed to you is a significant danger to themselves or to others. Otherwise, keep it all confidential. If you don't know what confidential means, it means to keep it to yourself. And if you are, and if you are ever in this situation where you need to break someone's confidence for their own safety or for the safety of others, make sure that the person you tell is a trusted, reliable, and mature Christian. Next, Thank, encourage, and build up the person when they confess their sins to you. Thank, encourage, and build up the person when they confess their sins to you. It can sometimes be really scary and intimidating and challenging to confess sins to other people. So thank and encourage and build up people when they take the step of obedience by confessing their sins. Validate people when they confess their sins to you. I'm honestly very, very encouraged when a fellow brother or sister confesses their sins to me. I'm not encouraged by the fact that they sinned, of course, but encouraged by their obedience and courage and boldness in openly, honestly, and obediently confessing their sins to me. Next, make sure that you actually pray for the person when they confess their sins to you. Actually pray for the person. Again, in James 5.16, the Bible says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When someone comes to you and confesses their sin to you, that is them taking a step of obedience to wage war on their sin as they open up to you and bring their sin into the light. When a Christian becomes aware that they have sinned, whether it is right there in the moment that they committed the sin or whether it is after the fact that they become aware that they sinned, they have a biblical responsibility to confess their sin or sins to God and to other Christians in their life. And when a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and confesses their sin to you, you now have a biblical responsibility to pray for them. It's not just that you have an opportunity to pray for them. You have a responsibility to pray for them because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We are all likely guilty of saying that we will pray for someone or saying that we will pray about a certain thing and then forgetting to or neglecting to actually pray. But it's very, very important that we are actually praying for others when they confess their sins to us. 
if we forget to or neglect to pray for someone when they confess their sins to us, we are withholding that power and effectiveness from them and from their life that James 5.16 talks about. I encourage you to pray for the person right away so you don't forget about it or lose track of it in the hustle and bustle of life. And if you can't pray, pray for them right there in the moment for whatever reason, I encourage you to write down a reminder or set a reminder to pray for them later that day at some point. And when you do pray for a fellow brother or sister in Christ who has confessed their sin to you, Remember to pray for them in a way that is in line with the scripture. Pray for them biblically. If you remember from my sermon earlier this summer on the spiritual discipline of prayer, I taught you all to be people who pray prayers that are in line with the Bible. And I actually gave you, an, gave you a specific example about when it comes to praying about sin in your, in your own life or for someone else. I'll give you a brief refresher on that now. When praying about sin in your own life or in the life of someone else, don't pray prayers like, God, please take this sin out of my life. Or God, please take this sin out of Bobby's life. Because that is not a biblically formed prayer. That is not a prayer that is truly in line with the scriptures. When you pray prayers like, God, take this sin out of my life. Or God, take this sin out of Bobby's life. Pretty much the only ways that God could answer that prayer would be to either take away your free will so you can't choose sin. Or to immediately end your earthly life to separate your soul from your sinful flesh. And God isn't going to do either one of those things. So those are not good prayers to pray. Prayers that are more in line with the scriptures would include the following. Pray that God would lead Bobby to confess his sins to him if he hasn't already done so. Pray that God would give Bobby the strength and the desire to repent of his sins. In light of 1 Corinthians 10, which tells us that God does not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, and that he always provides a way out of the temptation, pray that God would help Bobby to see the way out of the temptation, and that God would give Bobby the strength to choose to walk in the way out of the temptation next time. Pray that God would help Bobby to encounter and experience his mercy, his grace, his unfailing love, and his great faithfulness. Pray that the Holy Spirit would produce godly sorrow in Bobby's heart in response to his sins, and that godly sorrow would lead Bobby to repent. Pray that the Holy Spirit would remind Bobby of the sweet truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are certainly other things you can pray for as you're praying for them. These are just a few examples that I'm giving you here. And lastly, for our time together this morning, after you have thanked them, encouraged them, built them up, and prayed for them. Help the brother or sister that confessed their sin to you identify, uncover, or talk through triggers, patterns, cycles, or things that may be deeper underneath the surface in their heart or their life when it comes to that specific sin that they they confessed. I know that this can seem rather intimidating to do because it is confrontational, but you will actually be loving them and caring for them well by helping them to work through what was or what is happening in their heart or in their life that led to the sin. When when you do press in and dig into someone, make sure you do so with an abundance of love, kindness, tenderness, patience, humility, and wise discernment. There may definitely be times where you shouldn't dig into or press into the person right away when it comes to working through or identifying the triggers, patterns, or cycles, or things going on underneath the surface. If the person is feeling really down or guilt-ridden because of their sin, that's not the time to dig into them or press into them. In these times, I encourage you to make a physical or mental note to talk to them about it at another time in the near future. If someone comes to you in confession and is feeling down or guilt-ridden, help them to keep the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the kindness of God in view. And whenever you do dig into or press into someone to help them work through these things, make sure that your goal or your motive is to genuinely help them and not to shame them or anything like that. And with that said, That's all I have for you this morning on the spiritual discipline of confession. It's my hope and my prayer that you would really take all these things to heart and that we would all be people who put into practice all these things that we talked about here this morning. 
waging war on any sin that may be in our life through obediently confessing our sins with the heart posture of genuine repentance, humbly coming into agreement with God about our sin, being for each other, helping each other, and loving each other, and all of the other stuff we talked about this morning as well. As we transition into the second worship set, band, you can go ahead and come up. Maybe there is sin in your life that you need to confess that you haven't confessed yet. Or maybe even sin that you have never confessed before. If that's the case, there will be people standing around the room during the second worship set who would love to talk with you, listen to you, love you, and pray with you. And if you need prayer for anything else going on in your life, they would be honored to pray with you and for you about that as well. And maybe you came here today and you aren't in personal relationship with God, but you want to be in personal relationship with God after hearing about what God has done for you and what he has made possible for you because he loves you. If you want all of your sins, past, present, and future to be forgiven, and if you want to enter into personal relationship with God here this morning, I encourage you to go find a prayer team member around the room or come find me, and we would be happy to help you enter into personal relationship with God. And it will be the greatest decision of your life. I love you all a lot. I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit continues to do in and through all of you as we continue to follow Jesus together. Let me pray to close before the second worship set begins. Father God, again, we thank you, God, that you are a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of love, a God of forgiveness. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's because of Jesus Christ that we can boldly confess our sins. It's because of Jesus Christ we can repent of our sins and find mercy and grace and love and redemption. God, you are such a good God. You are such a faithful God. And again, I pray for every heart, every soul, and every mind here, Father God. You'd help all this stuff to really sink into our hearts to really stick with us, and to change the way that we live. God, that we would view sin as the enemy that it is. We wouldn't treat sin lightly. And God, we would honor you. We would love you. We would worship you with our lives, with our confession, with our repentance. Jesus, you truly are the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. The greatest thing that's ever happened to us, Jesus, it's you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to be moving in hearts and souls and minds and in lives during this second worship set. Holy Spirit, we know that everything you do is to bring forth revival, peace, joy, life, fullness. The Holy Spirit, we trust you. We trust you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, and we love you, God. How we love you, God. How we love you. We pray this all in Christ's name.